uh, put in the song list, uh, The Love Lifted Me Again, and we know we did it last week, we sung it again this week, because the title just fit the message. Uh, the title of the message is Love Lifted Me, uh, and, well, you too, but it just sounds better because that's the name of the song, Love Lifted Me, right? First uh, John chapter 4, find verse 11. We're going to read verse 11 down to verse 16. Uh, Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed that God... uh, um, Let me start verse 16 over again. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. For the last several weeks, uh, we've been uh, dealing with, uh, covering uh, this idea, this commandment, that we as believers are to love one another. Uh, In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus is speaking, and he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Then in verse 35, he says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, there can be no doubt that Jesus loves us. I mean, his, his great love was, was proven as he bore our sins and as he endured the judgment that we deserved as he hung on the cross. Now, he commands us uh, in these verses to love one another as he loved us. So our love for one another, it, 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 it defines us as followers of Christ. John admonishes us again and again in, in this little book of 1 John uh, to, to love one another. Now, our text this morning offers again this challenge, and, and it's a continual challenge. Keep on loving one another. Uh, now, I agree that it's a whole lot easier to preach this than it is to practice this. I get that. Uh, but our love for others is to be um, in line with the love that Jesus has for us, that, that deep, uh, that, that sacrificial love. And I'll admit that, that I am incapable of offering this kind of love by myself. Uh, I mean, it's a tall order for anybody to, to properly carry out. And in fact, I cannot do it by myself. You cannot love like this by yourself. As we read and work our way through this passage, we should realize again, <clears throat> really, the, the enormity of God's love for us and, and, and all the blessings that come from, from God loving us. Uh, his love enables us to love. Now, were it not for his love for us, we could never hope to love as he would have us love we just can't do it 
you know, that, that old hymn, again, that we sung, Love Lifted Me. Um, this passage conveys that thought that, that God's love lifts us and gives us the ability, <clears throat> excuse me, the capacity to love. God's love lifted us so that we could be pardoned from our sin and live according to his will. That includes loving others. So we're going to work through the conclusions that John reveals to us here concerning this love. Uh, we see in verse 11 and 12 the evidence of the love. So, so look at it again. Uh, chapter 4, 1 John, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. See, here John reveals the way our love is known and displayed before others, okay? Uh, verse 11 shows us how it's portrayed. Beloved, if God so loved us, we had also to love one another. So if God so loved us, okay, so, so how did God love us? That, that so... Okay, in this manner, we could say, it refers to the great love he has in sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If God loved us that much, in that manner, then we ought to love one another. And that ought to love speaks of a continuous action. Okay, we ought to continually be loving one another. See, God set the example for us. He, he told us what to do, and then he showed us how to do it. Christ proved God's love on the cross, and there should be no question as to whether we express and display God's love to others. He, he expressed it to us, and he gives us the ability to do this. In fact, it is expected of us. Look at verse 12. No, I'm sorry, verse 11 where it says, we ought also, we ought also to love one another. That speaks, that's a word used for a moral obligation. It speaks of an obligation to perform a, 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 a specific duty because it is expected of you to fulfill that specific duty. You are obligated to love one another. So are you fulfilling your obligation? Do we possess and portray this kind of love for each other? Is our love for God and others what it should be? We see in the first part of verse 12 that, that this love is a profound love. It says, no man has seen God at any time. See, John gives a simple truth. Nobody can question this. None of us has seen God, ever. Okay? If we saw him uh, in physical if we were in physical form and saw God it would destroy us right Moses wanted to see God in his glory and God says I can't do that to you I can I can show you my back but if you see it in full force it's going to consume you so God stuck him in a hole in a rock and God passed by Moses got just a glimpse all right we cannot describe God except for the portrait of that scripture gives us of God. See, John simply reveals that although we've never seen God, we, we have experienced his, his essence. We've experienced his working and that through his love. See, our, our knowledge of God 
isn't limited to to physical sight, but it's revealed through the love that he has shown us. So since no one has, has seen God ever, the only way he who is love, that's God, can be seen by his children is them loving one another. And what that does is, is it shows the family likeness. The love of God is, is, is so profound, but it's, but it's so subtle. Through his love, we experience God. He reveals himself to us through his love for us. You cannot know God apart from experiencing his love for you. And the deeper our relationship with him grows, the more we learn of him. The more that we display his love through us to one another, the greater each of us see and get to know God. The next thing we see here is this love is, uh, is perfected. It says, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Again, um, possessing genuine love is, is really for one another is a mark. It's an, it's an evidence that, that your salvation is genuine. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. He is at home in us. John loves this word, dwelleth, or, or abide, or abideth. Uh, it, it just means that, that God's moved in and made himself at home. God wants that with you. God wants you comfortable with him. And, and, and if we love one another, it's evidence of our relationship. It's evidence of our salvation. It's evidence that God has moved in. And that he's comfortable. And he's at home with you. If we genuinely possess that love for others, we are assured that God dwells in us because that's the only way that it can happen. His love, the love of him, love to him is evidenced by our love to his representatives, which is the brethren, which be each other. Genuine love is a byproduct of your salvation. It says, if we love one another, if we keep on loving one another, God abides in us. Or we can't love one another if it weren't for God abiding in us. Mutual love is the sign of the indwelling of God in you. It's the evidence that your salvation is real. One commentary says, the sacred lovers of the brethren are the temples of God. The divine majesty as a peculiar residence there. Now, I'm, I'm glad that God, the Holy Spirit, inspired John to give us this statement that, that his love is, is perfected in us. What that means is that it's, it's being matured. It's, it's being uh, completed. It's reaching the intended goal. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. You'll see why it's rhetorical when I ask it. Have you ever struggled with loving somebody? Yeah? Does it seem like uh, some are easier to love than others? I'm easier to love. I mean, I really, I'm, I'm adorable, okay? Some of you are a little more difficult to love, right? Yeah. We, 
all struggle with showing the right kind of love to each other. So this, this gives me some hope. This gives me some, some comfort because it means that as I grow and mature in the Lord, as I'm walking in fellowship with him, getting closer to him and growing in him, his love is being perfected. It's being completed. And that is perfected means to bring to completion, to accomplish its purpose. Which means as I grow in Christ... God's love continues to accomplish its purpose in me. If we all have this agape love habitually for one another, that shows that this this love which God is in his nature has accomplished its purpose in your lives. It has made us loving, and it's made us sacrificial. This love has been brought to its human fullness in the lives of believers, in you as you show love one for another. He helps me love as I should love. He helps me love as he loves. He helps me overlook the faults and failures of others, and he helps me... uh, you know, he, he, he brings me to a place where, where I can love the way he loves. Now, I haven't arrived yet. I guarantee you that I've not arrived yet. But I can rejoice in this, in that God's love is being perfected in me even today. God's love is accomplishing its purpose. See, faith is, is perfected by or completed by works. James tells us this. Love is perfected or, or completed by being shown to one another. That brings us to the second thing, the experience of love. Look at verses 13 and 14. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. John speaks of the experience of love that we share with God and the great blessing that it has for us. See, love, love instills our comforter in verse 13. It says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. The witness of the Holy Spirit with your spirit, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, is key here. The attribute, this attribute, it sets believers apart from everybody else on the planet. See, we don't simply offer worship to an object. Okay? The object of our worship inhabits us. The object of our worship indwells us. When we are saved and experience this great love that First John is just full of, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit. And, and, and where the Spirit of God is, there God is. Right? See, the Christian experiences the work of the Holy Spirit in him, and from that experience, he kind of deduces the fact that the Holy Spirit is in him. If the Holy Spirit is working in him, 
The Holy Spirit has to be in him, right? And by that, we know that we dwell, we live, we abide. There's that word again, in him. The mutual abiding of the believer in God and God in that believer is indicated by the Spirit's experience in the believer, the believer's experience with the Holy Spirit. When you love, when you love as God wants you to love, you are drawing that love from God the Holy Spirit that lives in you. It doesn't come from you, but it comes from God the Holy Spirit in you. And again, this ought to bring great comfort. And it does bring enormous blessings to our lives when we experience the love of God mightily through his spirit. See, the Holy Spirit guides our lives in truth. He directs our worship to the Lord. He he lifts our prayers to the throne. When we are so distraught and so discouraged and so broken that we can't even mouth our prayers, the Holy Spirit is there to take those groanings that cannot be uttered and translates them into prayers to our Heavenly Father. Many are the blessings of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. God in his great love ordained that the Holy Spirit would dwell in all believers as their guide, as their stay. Look at what else verse 13 says. Love enables our confidence here. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the earnest. It's the, it's the guarantee of our salvation. Again, we find this encouragement and confidence regarding our relationship with the Lord. It's possible to have assurance of salvation. God wants you to be sure of your salvation. You can know that God dwells in us. You can know that through the working of his Holy Spirit in you. See, a lot of people struggle with the assurance of their salvation. Now, some people should struggle with the assurance of their salvation. I struggled for quite a while. And as, uh, as long as we question our salvation, we really can't have real peace. We can't have real joy. We can't have solid, progressive victory. Knowing the presence and leading of the Holy Spirit within us, knowing that he is at work in us, is one of the proofs, the evidences of our salvation. If there is never any guidance from the Holy Spirit, if there's no conviction of sin, then most likely the Holy Spirit is not there. And if the Holy Spirit is not there, it means that you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're still lost. But if you experience the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that again will never contradict God's word, you can know that you dwell in the Lord. Now, I'm not advocating that, that God's ordained everything that people claim to be led of the hymn do. You know, just because people say they're led of God to do this doesn't mean they are. But it is possible to know whether or not the Holy Spirit abides in you. It is possible to know whether you are saved or lost. See, verse 14 shows us that love emboldens our profession, our confession. See, it says, and we have seen and do, look at that word, 
testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now this we here, John's using it because of the context. It's, it's primarily we apostles, Christ's appointed witnesses. Remember he was fighting the Gnostic heresy here who, who didn't believe that Jesus really came in a real body. And John is saying, no, we have seen that. The internal evidence of the indwelling spirit is, is, is corroborated by the external evidence of the eyewitnesses of the fact that the Father did indeed send his Son to be the Savior of the world. And John, John reveals that, that the redeemed of the Lord will say so. Those who have experienced the love of God and are filled with the Spirit of God have, have understood and they testify of Christ being sent and, 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 and the Father having sent him to be the Savior of the world. Our witnesses... You know, as we witness to people, they're going to vary from time to time. Uh, they'll be, you know, different from the ways of other people. But, but the message will come forth, and it will be consistent. It will be impossible to continually refrain from sharing your faith. At some point, you will be compelled to share what Christ has done for you and, 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 and how you have received him and what he has done. You can't not say what Jesus has done for you. You can't not witness of his love for you, of the forgiveness of sins you have through him, of all the life, the abundant life that he has given to you. You can't keep your mouth shut. Because those who know him testify. The Holy Spirit makes sure that you can't keep your mouth shut. The expression, the savior of the world, that's a reference to the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor was also called the savior of the world. The, the Samaritan men would have had this in mind uh, when they talked to the woman at the well, when they said, we have heard him ourselves and know that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. John 4.42. See, emperor worship was the state religion of the Roman Empire. And it was you know, the binding factor that united all, I mean, Rome's influence reached far and wide. And they, they were a lot of really odd, different, very different cultures. Uh, but, but this emperor worshipped uh, worship united them in a union that was stronger than about any military force. And to recognize Jesus as the savior of the world instead of the emperor was a capital offense. Because that kind of recognition that there was somebody besides the Roman Empire emperor um, that, that, that was a savior would, would be a blow to the very vital organs of, of, all, of all of Rome. See, that was, that was the quarrel that Rome had with Christians uh, that, you know, that, that brought about the, all those horribly bloody persecutions is, is that, no, Jesus just wasn't another God. He was the God. 
He was supreme above Caesar. He was supreme above the emperor. And for them to call Jesus the savior of the world instead of the emperor of Rome was essentially uh, to, to, to commit a capital offense in that they would kill you. And we know history, they did. Living for Jesus hasn't cost you anything. You may not be living for Jesus. Now it says in verse 12 that nobody has seen God. It says in verse 13 that believers who abide in him have beheld him as you know, the son as he manifests himself among us, among living, loving Christians. Christians who see God's love in you they have seen and do testify of Christ does that make sense when one Christian sees God's love manifested in another Christian they see God at work they see and they can testify they can tell of God being at work this truth must be put on display through the instrumentality of your Christian love to other Christians now look at verse 15 and 16 we see the expression of love here verse 15 says Uh, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. We see in verse 15, there's an expression of loving favor, I guess, for lack of a better word. There is an aspect of our obligation here to confess Christ as the Son of God that we just can't deny. We must confess him. And confess means to to speak the same as somebody else. It means to agree with someone as to a certain proposition. What that means is it speaks to the fact that that, that the confession, okay, if if, if you are confessing Jesus is the Son of God, then what you're doing is, 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 is you are confessing a lifetime confession. It, it, is, it is a sustained attitude of the heart. It's not just saying the magic words. Okay? It, is, it is living this truth. This confession of the deity of Christ, it implies surrender and obedience for a lifetime, not just, not just lip service. And this confession is, is proof, if it's, if it's genuine, it's proof of the fellowship with God. I think we agree that you know, yeah, this, this ought to be a part of every believer's life, right? How can we say it's not? It's essential evidence to our salvation. And as we look at this verse, we should be drawn to the fact that God would dwell in us and make a way for us to dwell in him. Why would he do that? Why would he work like this? Why would he accomplish this so that he could dwell in the likes of me? It's his gracious, loving favor that has been extended to those who are unworthy 
and his great love has been expressed for everybody to see every time they look back to Calvary. See, life is going to have its share of difficulties. All right? There will be valleys to walk through. There will be hills to climb. But regardless of what comes my way or what I am forced to endure, I know that I am loved by God and I'm accepted within his family because of the sacrifice of his son and my relationship to him and your relationship to him. We see next what this does is it expresses a lasting faith. First part of verse 16 says, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Remember who's writing this. This is John, the, the oldest of the apostles, the last one to pass away. And if you think back on John's life, no doubt John had experienced times of great adversity. He, was, he, he survived a boiling in oil. How do you do that? Exiled to the Isle of Patmos, uh, going through everything that the, that the apostles did, the other apostles did, except death. He had been challenged concerning his, 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 his faith in Christ. And, and remember, he's as human as you and I are. So he dealt with doubt, and he dealt with discouragement. But his faith endured. The, the enabling of such a faith was, was contributed to by, by, by the love that God had shown him. God had poured out his love in John. And in times of, of John's confusion, in times of his doubt, when uh, he, he, he could not deny. His life may have been falling down around him, but he could not deny God's love for him. So he gathers up the whole argument that one who is abiding in love is abiding in God. And it shows that God is abiding in him. Life is going to get hard. If it hasn't already, you haven't lived it long enough. Things are going to get bad. It's going to be up and it's going to be down. There's going to be disappointments and discouragements and there's going to be heartaches. But through all of that, you have to cling to the fact that God loves you irrevocably and that's evidenced by his Holy Spirit indwelling you. There will be times when your faith is tested. There will be times when you're tempted to throw in the towel and quit. And, and down through history, many have done just that. Uh, but, but, but I'm convinced that, that this great love of God that he has for us is, is the major factor in people maintaining their faith. When we are discouraged and we do feel alone or do feel forsaken, we have to cling to this. We have to remember that no matter what, God still loves us. He didn't send his son to die for our sins so that he could forsake us down the road. If Christ loved us enough to die for our sins, he still loves us enough to see us through to the end. So when the trials come, we cling to the love of God. And the last thing we see here in this last part of verse 16 is this this love is expressed in fellowship. A living fellowship. 
It says, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. I hope you understand that, that the saved are in God, and he is in us. And again, dwelleth means to abide, to be at home, to be comfortable, to have a relationship, a close relationship. When we are born again in Christ, we are filled with this great love, and we are indwelt with God the Holy Spirit. So being in Christ is, 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 is the safest and, and securest place that you could ever be. It's a mystery. It's unsearchable. But there are unsearchable riches of Christ, right? There are things so wondrous that we could never understand. We could only, if we tiptoe, grasp the very beginnings of understanding it. But we know that we are loved through Christ. Let me read you what Matthew Henry says. When he, speaking of God, would show somewhat of his power and wisdom, he creates such a world as this. When he would show more of his grandeur and glory, he makes heaven for the ministering spirits that are before the throne. What will he not do then when he designs to demonstrate his love and to demonstrate his highest love or that he himself is love or that love is one of the most bright, dear, transcendent, operative excellencies of his unbounded nature and to demonstrate this not only to us but to the angelic world and to the principalities and powers above and this not for our surprise for a while but for, but for the admiration and praise and adoration and felicity of the most exalted power to all eternity what will God then not do he goes on and what if it should appear at last that the divine love and particularly God's love in Christ should be the foundation of the glories of heaven in the present enjoyment of those ministering spirits that comported with it and the salvation of this world and the torments of hell This last will seem most strange, he says. But what if therein it should appear not only that God is love to himself in vindicating his own law and government and love and glory, but that the damned ones are made so or are so punished. One, because they despise the love of God already manifested and exhibited. Two, because they refuse to be loved in what was further proposed and promised. And three, because they made themselves unmeet to be the objects of divine complacency and delight. If the conscience of the damned should accuse them of these things, and especially of rejecting the highest instance of divine love, and if the far greater part of intelligence creation should be everlastingly blessed through the highest instance of the divine love then may it well be inscribed upon the whole of creation that God is love now aren't you thankful for the love of God I'm amazed that he would extend such love to those of us who are so horribly undeserving but I'm still thankful. Where would any of us be if it weren't for God's love? That love fills us and it ought to motivate us to love God and to serve God and to love others and to serve others. Now our love isn't all it should be. We don't have to pretend. 
but the Lord continues to build and perfect and complete that love in us. All because of a Savior. And he loves us when we were unlovable and he continues to love us. I really, I really do pray that you have experienced this love for God, love of God through, through Christ. I mean, his, his love is offered freely and it has to be received by you trusting Jesus to save you from your sins. Remember, God's love is unconditional, but his acceptance is is conditioned upon you trusting Jesus to save you. So you will only experience the love of God if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. So I have to ask, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you trusted Jesus to save you? Have you come to him by faith? Have you experienced the love of God in the forgiveness of your sins, in salvation through Christ? If not, I want to urge you, you need to do this. You need to respond to the leadership and conviction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is your only hope. He is the only way to the Father. And God loves you enough to provide you a means whereby you can be right with him by the forgiving of your sins by the washing of them in the blood of Christ. But again, that is only yours if you come to Christ in faith and allow God's love to permeate you, allow his spirit to indwell you, allow him to renew your mind and change your life. It all begins with faith in Christ. You want to experience God's love? You want to see God's love in action? Then you look to Calvary. You look to the cross. You look to an empty tomb. And you put your faith in that man, in Christ, to save you. And that will begin your experience of love from God. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, this morning we want to thank you, and our thankfulness seems so weak. But, Father, we thank thank you for your love we thank you that that love is part of your character it's part of your nature it is who you are thank you father that 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 none of your attributes are compromised your your love your holiness your justice your righteousness your vindication your wrath for sin none of it contradicts each other You provided Jesus to be the propitiation, the satisfaction of your wrath for sin for us because you loved us. And Father, I pray those of us that know Christ as Savior, Lord, if we've gotten lazy, if we've gotten complacent, Lord, relight that fire of love in us, love for you and love for one another. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus as Savior. They've never really experienced your love for them through Christ. I pray that your spirit would convict them of their sins. Lord, lead them to repentance and lead them uh, to faith in Christ and work in them till Christ be formed in them. That they too can know the love of you, our God. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Keith, would you come? Take your hymn books and go to 277.